Hey, listeners. Hey. Has our podcast brought joy and light into your life that was not there before? And would you like to make sure that even more people can be brought into our circle of wonderful listeners? To help us increase our audience size, it would be awesome if you could go on Apple Podcasts and rate and review Dragon Babies. Uh, You can access our media on other places, too. Yep, you can find us on any pretty much any podcast app that you choose to use. Um, If there's one that we're not on, let me know. I'll get us set up there. Um, We also have a couple new reviews to shout out. Um, We give a badass lady meter rating to everyone who reviews us. And I know that that's what drives people (laughs) to leave the reviews. It's really just a silly thing we do. But we have had two new reviews since our last episode. We have one from Jenny, who has the most amazing iTunes username ever. It has emojis in it, which I didn't even know is a thing. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Jenny. Your rating is enough childlike joy and wonder to carry you to the moon. If you want to go to the moon. <laughs> you don't have to. You can to carry you where you want to go. Where you want to go. That's right. <laughs> And our other review is from Luminous Luke, who is the uh, one of the co-hosts of another podcast called Ink to Film, who we shouted out in our last episode. Thank you so much for the review, Luke. Thank you for covering Coraline at the same time as us in a really weird coincidence. Your rating is button eyes. <laughs> Just button eyes, period. One set of button eyes. Button eyes. If you would like to get in touch and not leave a review, totally fine. We love hearing from you. You can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Thank you. And now the episode. Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. And this one I thought was particularly great for adults. This week, we're covering The Raven Ring by Patricia C. Reedy. So this is not our first Reedy book that we've covered. A a sound effect of a raven or something. I will put Ah! one in. Right here. (laughs) Um, this isn't the first Patricia C. Reedy book we've covered. If you're a fan of her Enchanted Forest Chronicles, check out our Dealing with Dragons episode. I know we've had some requests to cover additional Enchanted Forest Chronicles as well, which I'd love to do at some point. But in the meantime, I wanted to turn to the next Reedy book that had the most impact on me when I was young. Um, and this book is so much fun. <laughs> So I'm really, really happy that we covered it. It was also nice to return to something that was like a straightforward fantasy story after our last few episodes, Coraline and Spindles and taking on slightly different, you know, versions of the genre. Yeah, no, Um, definitely. And this book came out in 1994. Um, I had it from a young age. I think as soon as I finished the... Dealing with Dragons books, um, the books about Samarie and and her family. Um, I was like, okay, well, that's my favorite thing ever that I've read in my short life. So what else has this author written? Mm. And I somehow 
manage to, you know, find the Lyra books, but only this one. And there's a series of five. I've never read any of the others. And this is the last one. Okay. Um, I do wonder if that had to do with this just being released at a time that was closer to when I was, uh, you know, able to find books for myself. So is it more like a episodic like there, yes, okay, yeah. There aren't through lines from story to story, and Got each it. book is about okay. different characters, but they're all set in Lyra. Lyra, all the stories focus around the four races that share Lyra and live there together. Got it. Which are the she, um, so those are the wizards, mm-hmm. um, the elusive forest dwelling word, or maybe weird, it's spelled weird, W Y R D, the weird, and the shadowborn, who are focused on in this book, and then humans. So I do want to mention quickly before we go any further that I learned something amazing while doing research, um, which is that Patricia C. Reedy is from, she grew up in the Chicago suburbs and you and Patricia Reedy went to the same high school. She went to Hinsdale Central. Oh my gosh, seriously? <laughs> yeah, there are all these pictures at the end of the ebook um, of, of her, her at Hinsdale Central when she was young, and it, her it has her graduation picture, her like senior class photo, and it says at Hinsdale Township, Hinsdale Central High School. <laughs> well, I can also empathize with a sense of just complete and utter boredom <laughs> and trappedness leading to wanting to <laughs> indulge in fantasy worlds. So. Uh, I did not like high school. <laughs> but you share a through line there, so I thought you'd be Is through line our that. buzzword? Our buzzword? Yeah, through lines. What do you mean? Because you said through lines earlier. What were you talking about? Never mind. When? Never mind. It's a secret buzzword. Even you don't know about it. It's the word of the day, but we're not allowed to word know. Word of the day. Um, so I appreciated that. Cool. Uh, okay. But I mean, that does make me hate high school a tiny bit less. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe now if I ever have to drive by that building again, I can be like, oh, Patricia C. Reedy went there instead <laughs> of just being like, ah, I want to die. So we'll do, uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently for our cover description and marketing breakdown because we don't have our childhood copy, sadly. Um, it's still within our reaches. Pretty sure it's at our mom's house. Oh, I was going to say, it's probably in mom's garage in a yeah. box. Um, but on my last, (laughs) within my grasp, just like the Raven ring, there's some giant spiders living in that garage. So, oh, I know I've faced them alone many times. Hobo spiders. Speaking of spiders, I read an amazing article today about this therapist (laughs) who encourages his patients to draw colorful, smiling spiders (laughs) as a way to combat their arachnophobia. And, uh, and it works really well. The article said that by the end of their therapy with him, his patients have all been able to touch a tarantula and also <sighs> capture and release a house spider. Oh, touch a tarantula, though. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? I could see how catching and releasing a house spider would be very useful. But uh, yeah, it's just something dramatic to show that they've overcome the fear, I think. Don't touch a tar- Just don't. Just okay. Don't touch them. Sorry, I won't go too far into this tangent. I was looking at our... Our analytics and the episodes where we have an early tangent, <laughs> the listen rate <laughs> dies. Our Win in the Willows episode only has an average 30% completion because we talk about Toad's Wild Ride for like 15 oh minutes. Okay, back to the episode. Um, or the, this is the episode. Back to the, uh, the appropriate discussion. The point. Back to the point. <laughs> I'd like to describe the cover from the version that we, we 
did have our childhood copy because it was an important cover to me, one that I really loved. And also definitely the reason I chose this book over the other Lyra novels. So on the front of this book, we have uh, Ellerith looking like a friggin' model. Like she is just... I know. The first thing you feel when you look at the cover is just like, who are these three beautiful gingers? Yeah. <laughs> I spend time with them. No, yeah. I mean, she's got a, a definite like the Madonna mm-hmm. type pose. Um, pose and look in her eyes, which is interesting because she's not that character type at all. No. Um, no, I have strong feelings about this cover, both positive and negative. Um, yeah, I've only had I only had positive feelings before, but now that I'm looking at it, I am kind of like that was before I read it. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like, well, I don't know if these match the feeling of the book very well. Like this, these this kind of makes the book look boring. It makes it look boring, but it also makes it look like a love story. Yeah. I mean, and there are definitely romantic relationships for and sure interests. but it's not the point of the book at all i i think there is and there's an interesting clash between the portrayal of those three figures and then the um more like occult feeling art around the edges with the crow the, or the, Kel- raven. the raven and the celtic knots mm-hmm. um and yeah i totally agree with you the cover makes the book look a lot less interesting yeah. than it is. It makes it feel very moody. And <laughs> like very who are these like, windswept people. Super classic fantasy and yeah. kind of like Wheel of Time type. Like mm-hmm. this is gonna be kind of a Oh, not a fan of Wheel of Time. <laughs> Should I not talk about that? I don't like Wheel of Time. No, no that's although fine. It's, it's been just a long very time. Very popular on the fantasy subreddit. I mean, maybe they just aren't looking for stuff that's more interesting and a little more underground. I mean, I also feel like... Unpopular opinion. Yeah. We... Okay. If you want to read something like that, just read Lord of the Rings. There, you're done. Agreed. You can move on to other things. Anyways. The the other thing I wanted to say is that none of their facial expressions make sense with the characters. The one that I would say is maybe the closest is Daenerys. Yeah. Um, Because he's looking kind of... But that's not how I pictured him looking at all. No, and he's very good natured and like, you know, silly, definitely. He looks like some old salt's attractive son (laughs) in this. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and Carvonen looks downright sullen and he's, and he's full so, like, of impish vibrant cheer. Upbeat. Um, he does look more like i imagine him yeah. looking though yeah. the most out of the three of them he's got the shabbiness um he's in his cowl neck sweater <laughs> their outfits are so funny. pretty funny yeah <laughs> yeah but the thing is as a child i was very drawn to this art it made me feel like it was going to be a big important book and it prominently features a woman in the center so i appreciated that yeah she's beautiful for sure and even as a young one i was not immune to the charms of a beautiful woman no she's she's really beautiful and i appreciate that they didn't make her and she is straight up white she is also supposed to be extremely beautiful right so that is fitting with and I appreciate that they made her a little less mm-hmm. like white looking. Yeah, definitely. Especially because she's spent her life battling it out in the mountains mm-hmm. and she shouldn't, first of all, look, I mean, the book, I, if, so different racial 
with within humans, different races are alluded to. There's mm-hmm. nothing explicit, but they'll be in characterization for different, you know, side characters like a dark skinned woman, right, um, yeah. or something along those lines. Uh, so I appreciate that from the start it isn't just one of those like white fantasy worlds of right, which there yeah. are so many in distressing number um looking at you wheel of time <laughs> it's been a really long time since i read those books <laughs> so i should probably step yeah. off a little bit because maybe i would like them a lot more now and maybe there are more characters of color than i realized the first time i read them but the first time i read them i didn't like them. and that's fine I read like five of them too. And you know how Why? big those if books are? Like them. Because I was just, I was trying to give it a fair shot. So that's a pretty fair it's shot. It's a really fair <laughs> shot. Five really long books. I haven't read Wheel of Time. Tones, yeah. Um, okay, anyways. Yeah, I, I appreciate that too. Um, and uh, I, I think I'm, I'm also really drawn to those like that colored, those colored pencil illustrations. It's just very fitting with that era in terms of what was being released um, in the fantasy world. And uh, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I also thought that um, Ellerit had scars or that she had had some kind of burn um, oh. when I first found the book Instead and I was intrigued the by the shadow that. of her hair. Yeah. And then there's something darker on her neck too. Cause honestly, that's the other problem with this is she's way too baby faced. Like she mm-hmm. needs to have some like, I mean, she's been a fighter her entire life. She needs to have some sign of that yeah, instead of looking like this perfect, like 18 year old, you know, I mean, she looks like a supermodel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So since we don't have a physical copy and we don't have a picture of the back of the book, uh, we can't really read that and describe how the publisher chose to portray it. Oh, I could um, give you the, the audible summary, though. Okay, go for that it. That would probably be best. In this book from Reedy's acclaimed Lyra fantasy series, a young woman must fight for her life while on a quest to claim a magical family heirloom. Three weeks after Ellaret's mother is killed, the messenger arrives with the tragic news. She died far from home, succumbing to wounds sustained in battle, and Ellaret must travel to reclaim her belongings. The overland journey to the city of Ciaran is dangerous, but Ellaret has no fear. She straps a dagger to her leg and sets off to recover one of her mother's prized possessions, a ring etched with a raven. Though she makes it to Ciaran safely, getting home is another story. Ellaret doesn't know what's special about her mother's ring, but someone wanted it badly enough to kill her for it. To make it home in one piece, she must unlock the mysteries of the ring her mother died to protect. I mean, it gets some stuff wrong. Yeah. It's like a little bit. (laughs) It's a little confusing. Well, it's because after having read the book. Yeah, it says that she sets off to get the ring, but that's not true. She just goes to collect like her mom's belongings and it also says straps a dagger to her thigh which pisses me off because it like kind of sexifies her totally and it plays into the problems with the badass lady warrior trope right yeah Yeah. which i really want to talk about in detail because this book um this book i think kind of tackles head-on a lot of the problems with the way other authors might write about female warriors. And I really appreciate that Patricia Mm -hmm. Reedy um, doesn't fall into any of the same traps. She does a really good job. Yeah. Well, and also because like, yeah, it's dumb to say that because it's, that would be like puts on her shirt or something. Like she does that everywhere she goes. She always wears a dagger. So it's not like reinforced again and again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Mm -hmm. not like she 
steps her dagger onto her thigh. Like, no. Yeah, when she's doing something that's unnatural for her, different for her from from what she's normally like, that's related to when she's, you know, made to wear a skirt or, like, try Mm -hmm. to be less of a warrior because that's deeply ingrained in who she is. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, Do you want to do the summary? And then we can, I think we should talk about the female warrior trope first. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot there. Ellaret lives in the mountains with her family. She is a Silhar, um, which is um, a community of humans who live in this specific mountain range in Lyra. And that's their way. And they have always had to fight to keep that land for themselves. It's been attempted to be taken from them um, by another group called the... Let's just say Siaski. By the Siaski. Um, also, should put it sooner, but big pronunciation apology. I don't know how to say any of these. Mm. Madeline listened to the audiobook. And, and I still don't know how to say them. But she's spent her life learning to defend her home, to be a warrior, and basically like just follow a hard scrabble path. Um, her mother's in the Imperial Army. And is killed in battle, or so the family is told. Mm-hmm. Or and, killed from wounds sustained in battle. Mm-hmm. And Alaret says, okay, I need to go collect her things. My dad is injured. Um, my siblings are too young. And we're not comfortable with a member of the guard bringing them. It wouldn't be right. So she goes on a three-week journey to a town called... City. uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. To the capital, uh, Ciaran. um, And there receives her mother's effects and then tries to just go home. But the rest of the book is her being prevented from going home. She just wants to go home. (laughs) It's like my nightmare. Like all the, I just want to go home and all these things are happening. It feels, yeah, it feels like a bad dream where it feels so clearly set out. It's like, yeah, okay. I just want to leave now. And then like something kind of blossoms up in front of you and you're like, uh, wait, no, what? (laughs) I just wanted to leave. Should have Irish. Goodbye. Exactly. And even trying to do that, she she, she can't, can't manage to either, get out of yeah. the city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty funny. Parts of it, it feel very um, game-like and video game-like, which I also want to talk about. Oh, yeah, um, good point. Because I learned something else about Patricia Seerity that's really interesting and related to that. Um, but in her attempts to leave, she realizes that this ring that's in her mother's effects that has a raven taking flight carved onto it is pretty special and like everyone wants it and she doesn't want to give it to anyone and is also concerned about what it might be able to do. So she crosses paths with a lord named Daner as well as a thief named Carvonen. Um, He qualifies himself as a thief, but he's from this powerful family of spies it's like a and dynasty academics of, and all kinds of cool stuff they're rogues mm-hmm. they're all rogues they have roguelike skills yeah definitely um and are well acquainted with really everyone in the city but also managed to kind of stay unobserved um and as well as a wizard and a commander of the imperial guard um all of whom help her to try to figure out the powers of the ring and 
what needs to be done with it. Um, eventually, they realize that there is a shapeshifter named Ma- Mabrellen, which is a really creepy name to me. It just sounds wrong in your mouth. Yeah. Um, who is trying to get the ring so that he can release one of the Shadowborn, which are like the original sources of evil in the world who have been bound for over 2,000 years because he believes that with the ring, he'll be able to control one, which probably wouldn't even be the case. So he's basically just trying to destroy the world. Yeah. Um, he's like such dumb. an idiot. He's, he's like <laughs> so people that... stupid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's a little... To my mind, in my mind, I kind of compared him to the nine men who took rings of power from Sauron, mm-hmm. who were like, yeah, I'm definitely going to be able to control this yeah. power. And I that that's how I see him having turned out if he weren't mercifully killed. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like, Elrod. honestly, pretty quickly dispatched with. Yeah, no, that was great. <laughs> it was great. Because, honestly... The ending it, is so good. The ending of this book is so it. good. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's what happens. They kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's not able to get the ring or unleash the Shadowborn. And then Elerit and Carvonin set off back together to the mountains because they've developed a little something or other between them. And they want to continue, you know, adventuring together. A little, little something or other. Little something they wanna, or other. They yeah. want to suss that out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And Daner is gently rejected and goes back to his I loved that, especially since I totally... Do you want to do the romance section now or do you want to do it differently now? No. Yeah. Let's talk about it now because I I think, you know, that that's enough. That's enough plot. We'll get into more details. That's enough Um, plot. Because there are so many fast paced. Twists and turns. Twists and turns. Action sequences. A lot goes down. People are trying to steal the ring from her. And it's basically a murder mystery. Like Mm, I feel like that's the pattern that the story follows rather than a traditional fantasy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, that's a good point. So that's part of why there's like so many characters and so much going on and like so many dark alleys Um, because a big part of the plot is finding out like what actually happened to her mother exactly why her mother died Mm -hmm. and we realize near the end of the book that it was Ma Brellin who caused her death Mm -hmm. kind of indirectly she really actually chose uh, not suicide exactly but she sacrificed herself. She sacrificed herself yeah, to once protect she knew the that, ring. that he was trying to get the ring and she yeah. was already weakened from battle. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a big thread running through a through line, if you will, um, in the story. Password. <laughs> 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 I like how you screamed for, and I said, shh. Because <laughs> no, I'm doing Pee Wee's Playhouse, the word of the day. Got it. For any Pee Wee fans out there. Got it. Um, yeah, so running throughout the book is an attraction that Daner has for Ellerit. Yeah, and then Ellerit likes all like pretty ladies, like not even interesting pretty ladies, as the as she finds out like near the beginning. So I'm really glad they didn't end up together. No, totally. And well the thing is it it's not she's never attracted to him. She's right. like constantly irritated by him. Because he's but, irritating and he it's so it's not really a love triangle, it's like a love line. <laughs> <laughs> And she's just facing Ellerit's one way. just in the middle yeah. facing Carbone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, funny. Daner's looking at Ellerit. She's looking at Carbone. I guess he's looking back at her. So. But yeah, that's a, a full, just a normal it's little a line. line. Yeah, three um, points make a line. <laughs> well, three points in a row. Three points on the same Plane. axis. Yeah. I, I like the romantic relationship in this story because 
it plays off these underlying feelings of comfort and um, just trust that Ellerit has from the start for Carvonen. Yeah. And then elements of mistrust and um, just like, like I said, he's always annoying her, but it's more than that. He just doesn't make sense to her with Daner, even though he's the rich, well-appointed, taller one, as Carvonen points and out his, at the end of the book. He's tall. Yeah, which I also love. It, like, yeah, yeah, Carvonen's short, but she doesn't care about that. Um, and he's got a great uh, wink, and that's all that matters. And he's got this, you know, roguish good looks. Exactly. So. And also Daner's family sucks. Like his family sucks so much. Yeah. And he kind of sucks too. That's the thing. Like I just did not like him enough to even in my, you know, little like romantic girl heart be pushing for them together as soon as there was a flash of any kind of like attractiveness about Carvona and I was rooting for him. (laughs) And part of what bothers me so much about Daner relates to the badass lady stuff that we were going to mention. Yeah, because um, he totally pigeonholes her constantly. Again and again. And then whenever she does do something, he's either stunned that she's able to defend herself and him, mm-hmm. or he totally disregards it yeah. and is like, oh, I didn't I didn't see that happen. No, like, I is... was battling the two of them, and I took care of all three. It was three against one. And yeah, she's, no. she's not the kind of person who's going to be like, um, shut up. I was involved. So she just quietly stands there like, God, this guy is a fool (laughs) fairly obvious to me that he doesn't really see women as 100% people no absolutely not yeah the way he talks about Janestra 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 um who is the Luxier um as well as like mysterious figure who is following Alaret throughout the book and um yeah, the way he talks about her, the way he talks about his sisters, um, the way he talks about Ellerit. Uh, and he's also strange to me because he's clearly interested in learning. Um, like he's learning he's magic. A yeah. He's a student at um, the Adept School. But then he also seems like kind of just a dandy. But he's narrow-minded at yeah. the same time. So he's not actually open to new ideas and yeah. anything regarding other cultures. He's like particularly closed off about um whereas carvonin uh treats Ellerit like the uh just he understands her culture like yeah. he respects her he culture her he language respects her mm-hmm. and he treats her like an awesome human and not in a like i don't know oh i'm so surprised that you're cool kind of way totally and this is something that um so another podcast shout out a podcast i love is the bechdel cast yeah um, and they watch a different movie in each episode and talk about whether it passes the bechdel test they're but on also the just, how stuff works network now yeah they are yeah. um i couldn't recommend this podcast more highly it's if you it's really great like comedy and if you like movies and if you're a feminist which i'm sure all of you listening are um I think, yeah i think if it. you like our podcast you'll be into the back yeah. <laughs> for, sure. <laughs> for sure um but they talk quite a bit about that trope of being surprised by a female warrior being able to do her job being and be able a to warrior do the warrior thing it's like it's so obvious from the start that's what she has trained to do her entire life and yet every time she does do something everyone's like oh my gosh wow oh, what Oh my god. And that's why like 
we are reclaiming the mm-hmm. badass lady idea, but um, that's where the problems with it have come from. Totally. When they're like, oh, she's a badass because she can do her job. Yeah, <laughs> and the reason we use the badass lady meter to rank our favorite female protagonists in each episode is because we're trying to show that every different kind of woman can be a badass. Yeah. You don't have mm-hmm. to fit into this really narrow description that like it's come to represent. The male gaze sees as like, yeah, being... The cool girl yeah, and right. like the one who can hang with the guys. Not but like, like the other girls. Also look really hot. Um, yeah. So I appreciated that throughout this book, there are tons of opportunities for Elorit to be herself and be a fully fleshed out character and another trope that patricia c reedy turns on its head Mm -hmm. which really annoys me is when the person who is female and who's a warrior um gets really uncomfortable in uh court or like you know genteel settings Mm -hmm. in this one she's uncomfortable but not because she's like oh no like it won't fit in instead she's just because like this is dumb this why do they care about these things why do they wear these uncomfortable clothes? And also she can't reach her dagger. Like right. she's in a very unsafe environment mm-hmm. and made to feel more unsafe. So it's just do. Right. Instead of being uncomfortable because she can't do the things and or she accepting can't the be feminine. She's like, offered a gown to wear it to dinner. Right. And she's <laughs> like, nah. I'm not going to do that. And instead wears her normal clothes that she wears when she's home in the mountains. And thoroughly disgusting everyone. And everyone is so (laughs) awful to her. And she's just like, whatever. Like she barely even thinks about it. She just quips back at them. Oh, and her burn is so good too. Because one of the mean sisters earlier is like, oh, I'd love to hear what fashions they're wearing in the mountains. And then she's like, what's up? And she's cool because she is herself she's cool because she doesn't care she's not ashamed of being so hard she's herself. proud of it yeah um she has to hide it just for security reasons for safety because, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um but whenever she's able she's really just yeah, she, showing off her she culture and her and loves this heritage. Her yeah. heritage yeah um and it's also clear that gender roles work very differently in different societies within lyra mm-hmm. um because so first of all, because I haven't read the other books, I don't know exactly what yeah. the designation free lady means as opposed to being um, having one of the other titles that the people in Siaran have. Oh, well, I mean, um, I just assumed it's like because that just she because doesn't she's not... fall under the dominion of like a ruler. Yeah. Okay. Since she's Silhar. Okay. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very clear that women are raised to fight mm-hmm. um they're raised to be able to defend their home and their families and themselves except for uh except for daner's family who all suck <laughs> oh no i mean in silhar oh yeah like yeah, among yeah. the silhar yeah, okay. sorry silhar isn't a place it's it's a, the people the people yeah but then um you're right and then among like the nobility in the city they're like Boo. yeah but then also the guards have um right. female members mm-hmm. um i mean i really appreciated that uh at least um, i guess at least among like the working classes mm-hmm. um women seem to be able to take any role that yeah. men mm-hmm. can yeah um it uh but then yeah within the the lord's house uh things seem to follow much more rigidly along the like stereotypical yeah um patriarchal although we only do see into that lord's house mm-hmm. so maybe that's, that's just their family yeah and they're definitely Lame. very okay <laughs> 
I <laughs> very interested in upholding the same traditional approach yeah. to gender roles. Um, I just and uh, it was just really funny spending time in that space because it felt like a scene from uh, like a Victorian and right English yeah, like, novel. Oh, we're going to have a card spread. Um, yeah, and just like the women. Uh, having verbal sparring with each other about who's going to see the Luxier first, because that's, that's the only thing that they have to like talk about. And that's the only way that they've been able to hone any kind of like intellect. I literally rolled my eyes while I was reading that part because well, it's sad. sad. Yeah, I mean, no, I know. It's brutal. I know. I know. You're right. Uh, yeah. So that, that was all really fascinating too. Um, and I think that I, so Talking a bit about our youthful perceptions of this book versus today, you didn't read this when you were young, no, correct? No, I did not. Okay. Um, so this, and as I mentioned, the Enchanted Forest Chronicles, um, dealing with dragons, talking to dragons, searching for dragons. This one and seems. Oh, I can't remember the last one. This name. one seems a lot more like an adult book. Yeah, it is, and. Patricia C. Reedy wasn't trying to write YA with this. She okay. was with the Enchanted Forest Chronicles. Yeah. Um, and I think with the Chronicles, they spell out that she's overturning these tropes um, much more obviously. Right. Uh, because Princess Simmerine is literally a princess who like wears messy clothes and does maid's work and like hangs out in the mountains with dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, the flood of knights that keep coming to try to save her are all like, what? <laughs> a woman doing this? They're, they're all bu- like straight up buffoons. So. Yeah, they're but pretty funny. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, and not to say that that those books are any less valuable. I absolutely I adore them. those yeah, books. They like straight up made a lot of who I am. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, check out our Dealing with Dragons episode. I'd like to hear more. Um, and we talk let about us, Cherry's Jubilee. We do talk about Cherry's Jubilee. And Neopets. Only <laughs> very briefly. Um, I think this book resonated with me so strongly for similar reasons because it's a woman in a role that you know in our society might feel atypical but we're getting to see them in a world where it's natural it makes sense and they are skilled at what they do but it's not their entire self and I mean the thing with Ellerit is I, I feel like there are moments where she would like to learn more about the other lands, the other cities, the places people mention. And she's kind of sad because she's like, I can't even follow this conversation because I don't right. I have no understanding because I've spent my whole life trying to survive and make sure that my family survives. And like when she wanted to learn more about sword play, but mm-hmm. the terms that they were using were like technical terms that she didn't know. So right. she was like, the well, pirates party follow this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is a pirate party? Or something yeah, like that was that. funny. Um, yeah, but, but at the same time she represents, um, like I, I loved hearing her telling a story to Daner's nephew, mm-hmm. um, and him continuing to interrupt and be like, that's not how old stories are supposed to start. And she's like, well, mm-hmm. I'm from a different culture and this is how my stories start. Yeah. Um, she even like, she was educating that kid. I know. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like he's, he'll remember that. And, yeah. And he's like, going to be less crappy. He'll be more understanding of other, what other people's lives are like. He's going to be less crappy than the rest of his siblings. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he also has a 
spy for a nurse yes, maid. So that, which I really like. Maybe that will like help, I don't know, make him a bit more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's really funny. You can say. Um, yeah, but but basically she's just she's a really excellent character. She's um, so practical in and she doesn't worry about dumb things that don't need to be worried about. She worries about the practical, important things, and I really admire that. And at the same time, even though she's I mean, first of all, she's grappling with her mother's very recent death yeah. and then having to not only come and collect her effects, but then suddenly be in mortal so this, danger. Yeah, this murder um, mystery, this <laughs> fantasy murder mystery. Uh, she's dealing with a lot, but she still has room to like appreciate the people around her and have moments of humor too. Um, I really, I think that's part of the reason why she likes Carvonin so much too, um, is that he like gives her room to experience that. And she doesn't have to just be this like straight face, you mm-hmm. know, warrior yeah. all the time. Um, she reminds me of a few other characters we've covered. She reminds me of Kel. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. She, definitely. from the protector of the small series by Tamara Pierce, um, she uh, and but then I also in some ways she reminds me of Alana a little bit. Um, but I think it's more that Carvonin really reminds me of George. Um, oh, <laughs> although George is like uh, he's of much like greater stature than Carvonin. True, is. yeah. Um, both literally <laughs> and metaphorically. <laughs> making fun of Carbonin's height now. No, they just, that's like how he's characterized. They call him a small person a lot. And then at the end he says that Daner is tall. (laughs) So I feel like. And he did say like that he aspires to be four inches taller, which I also thought was really funny. I know. (laughs) He's talking about all the things he would wish for. Um, Also of um, Mel from Crown Duel. Yes. Definitely. Um, she reminds me a lot of Mel, of Meliara, um, Crown Duel by Sherwood Smith. We also have an episode on that. Um, and yeah, I think in, in the tradition of those other characters, um, she she is quiet much of the time, but she has a lot going on internally. Mm-hmm. And no matter what situation she's in, she has a lot of her like mental capacity tied up in making sure that she can see all the exits and that she can access her weapons at any time um, and that she's covering all her sides. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of incredible how much she's thinking about at any given moment. Yeah. Yeah. She's in control. Yeah. She's really, really of cool. an incredibly stressful situation. She is in control. Also, before we finish talking about um, her badassery, her weapons are so great. Really cool. She has raven's feet, as she calls them, which I think are, you know, like similar to throwing stars, basically. Yeah. Um, Well, I picture them as like, uh, they've got like three prongs mm-hmm. in the front, maybe like a bird foot and then like yeah. a handle on the back that you throw. I really want to draw they them They will mess now. you up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really want to draw them now. Um, and her. Because at first I thought that she literally just had a bag of like chicken's feet that she was, you know, toting around with her. Right. They don't because it's them. just mentioned as yeah. the raven's feet they touch. And I was like, out. oh, maybe that's something related. Magic. Yeah. Related yeah. to magic. But they, she actually doesn't know any magic. Yeah. Um, and to her people, magic is rare. Um, and so that's also one way in which we get to see her being like, pr- I felt pretty open-minded. I mean, she was afraid at different moments, but that's because there's all these, there's a shapeshifter on the right. loose who yeah. could be trying She's to murder her at any her moment, safety. cast a spell on her. I mean, the, the spell going wrong that she witnesses mid book during the, um, 
Picard. It's really scary. Charting, which is basically like an extended tarot sequence, which was really awesome. I really enjoyed all of the the tarot analogs. That was fun. Yeah, Yeah, that was so good. Obviously is a fan of tarot because she took a lot of it and like, you know, that's where all that comes from. Definitely. And I loved the the use of like magic within a tarot card reading where the person whose cards are being read can actually see and hear move movement and like different sounds coming mm-hmm. from the cards during the spell um, but no one else can see it so there's like this really intimate personal reading yeah. that's also going on yeah um that was that was super super cool mm-hmm. uh even though it was a very tense moment in the book and yeah i just yeah. hadn't read something like that before so i really appreciated it mm-hmm. and that brings me to something i wanted to i said i wanted to mention earlier which is that patricia c reedy is really into tabletop role-playing games oh. um and that is actually how she started writing fantasy got it and it was cool. in the 80s that these books were coming out so it was like Dungeons and Dragons, yeah, biggest Primo moment. <laughs> yeah. That actually makes total sense to me, given the amount of care she puts mm-hmm. into um, talking about weapons and like classes, yep. essentially, like and why I said like and the way oh, fights happen yeah. and what each individual is doing, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and why I said like, oh well, Carvonin's family—they all have rogue-like qualities. Exactly, I know Carbonin's you picked up on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, and I mean, uh, Madeline and I have some experience with Dungeons and Dragons. We want to get back into it. Um, played when we were young, just us and our brother. And we, uh, kind of like, I think made up some of the rules for the way that we were playing it, but yeah, but honestly, we did our best. That's okay. And it's honestly, we, we loved it. Yeah. It well, so much fun. And if you're only playing D and D like with a small group yeah. of people, who are all related to each other. Like it's, I think it's totally acceptable to mess with the core rules a bit. Cause, yeah. Cause then it's like house rules. Yeah. Oh, exactly. But if you're playing it like at a card shop or something, you might run into trouble with that. But. I know that's what, that's like the biggest, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to, we're going to, we're going to start again, right? We're yep, going to, I found all my books after I moved. Madeline was uh, our DM. I've actually been thinking about, I've been, just mainlining fantasy lately. I've, you yeah. know, we do the podcast. I've been playing Witcher 3, and I'm also reading or listening to rather the Obsidian trilogy by Mercedes Lackey. And it is, mm-hmm. um, oh, Mercedes Lackey and James Mallory. Sorry. Uh, they were writing partners, and it's just so much fun. I love it so much because it's an, it's, it's a lot, a lot denser than the stuff we do on the podcast, and it's not really yeah. young adult. Um, yeah. But in the way that we talk about it, it could be young adult for sure. Um, and it's just this incredibly rich, dense fantasy epic. Um, like the books are like 35 hours long. Oh. And it, yeah, it just makes me think a lot about different fantasy worlds I could weave in a Dungeons and Dragons type way. How long was this ebook? I don't listen to ebook or, or audiobooks, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't really know. It was know. like between 10 and 11 hours. Okay. Yeah. I'm just curious for Which is longer comparison. than most of the ones we do. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Everyone check it out. As an aside. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you get that feeling coming through really strongly. My first thought was this feels like a video game. It reminds me a lot of Skyrim. Um, yeah. Just like once she's in the city and then it's like quest, 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 quest. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Like going to try to go down that alley. I don't think so. (laughs) Then you're pulled in with this character and this other thing is happening. Um, 
And I appreciated that. I would also struggle to leave certain areas and scare <laughs> yeah, so that's because there's a mountain in the way. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> <laughs> well, and really she also sideways, like walking up the mountain. It also has the feeling of like she can't move on from this area until she's thoroughly Complete exhausted. Quest. <laughs> yeah, all these quest lines. Good point. Yeah, and I I really liked that. I. I don't know if I've read a murder mystery fantasy before. No, yeah. It kind of um, made me think about, like, is that a... Educate us. Is that a... I'm sure it's a subgenre that exists. Yeah, I'm sure there are others. But I'm not very familiar. Um, the closest I feel like I've come, and this isn't fantasy at all. It's just, like, weird mysteries that have some surreal fantasy elements. elements. Yeah, but that's, like, weird fiction rather than... Oh, no, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say this series called The Cat Who. Did you ever read any of those? No. It's a series of murder mysteries um, centering around an author who lives in... Oh, I think I remember seeing those on Mom's bookshelf. And he has Siamese cats who help him like solve mysteries, basically. Cool, 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 cool. I loved those when I was like 13. And there are millions of them. author is Lillian Brown. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. And I think I did read some of those. But yeah, I haven't read a mystery in a long time. And mysteries were also something I was obsessed with when I was um, really liked young. our Nancy Drew. <laughs> Nancy Drew. I loved The Cat Who. I loved Agatha Christie and her, her, her Hercule Poirot books. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it was very, very fun to revisit this. I... Um, I think I understand this book better reading it as an adult. Um, like you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, it seems like it would be hard for a kid to I follow. I don't think it's, um, it, it's not YA. Yeah. It's just something that was YA for me. <laughs> and I was like, I had trouble when I was little f- focusing, basically. Mm-hmm. Like I would lose interest if it weren't. Um, I mean, I definitely read some stuff that wasn't strict YA, but not until I was in my teens. And something that is hard with this book, um, this would be my only kind of criticism, I guess, is that there's a lot of re-explaining events that happened because there's so many different characters and the characters are constantly having to catch up other characters on what went down. So it's like something happens and then to Ellerit and Carbonum, for example, and then they have to tell Daner and then they have to go to the commander and tell the commander about it. And then they have to go to the adept, like all, you know, gathering more people as they keep going on. And it's important that we actually see what those re explanations are because they change the details based on who they're talking to. And Uh that gives us more insight into how Ellerit is thinking and feeling at the moment. Um, And especially because there's the concern of like the unreliable shapeshifter possibly popping up again at any point. And I actually, I don't mind the rehashing because sometimes I want a reminder of like, wait, what, what actually all happened there? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I think so it I seems think I still have a problem paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it makes sense. But I think as a kid, I would get kind of bogged down okay, and be like, yeah. oh, well, nothing's happening. But the thing is, this book is actually super fast paced. Yeah. Um, no, I and mean, I've loved it. You know, I've it. said it now a few times. It's very fun. It feels mm-hmm. like a video game. It's a romp. Um, it's it's really exciting to not twists and know turns. what's around each corner. Yeah. And because you have someone so capable like Ellerit as the protagonist, it never gets too 
like tense even it's mm. it's more like just watching her you know do a thing yeah. like she only sustains one minor injury in the course of the book and compared to our other especially the other characters i mentioned like cal and mel cal and mel um they who get messed up get the stuffing beat out of them again yeah. and again um it uh yeah it, it was just comes through stood very out in stark contrast carvonin very is, unscathed oh yeah, he Carbonin gets messed up, up yeah. by the, um, the shapeshifter. Um, yeah. So, uh, okay. Well, I've rambled through quite a few of our segments now. Um, should we give a badass lady meter rating to Ellaret and then move on to... Oh, I thought... Okay, good. Yeah. I was like, crazy. Oh, I haven't <laughs> forgotten. I haven't forgotten. Okay. My... Badass lady is Ellerit. Um, and I rate her the luck, strength, cunning, and sacrifice of a flock of ravens. Ooh, mine's raven related too. <laughs> As is the title of this As book. Is, oh, a big surprise. And big the, surprise. The tchotchke, the magical tchotchke. The tchotchke. <laughs> the tchotchke, yeah. <laughs> um, I rate Ellerit a deck of tarot cards that feature only ravens in different stages of flight. That would be a pretty cool deck. Yeah. That, they would have to be really detailed. I know. It, it, you know, it could be in different scenes and things. That set of cards is just so cool. I've been yeah. thinking about tarot cards a lot lately. I have one I've been, up above yeah, us right now because this artist... What card is that? Um, it's the... I'm not sure. The, the artist just sent it to me with a book of hers that I bought, and she's been making a tarot set. I've been um, working on learning tarot. Um, I don't really know anything about it. I just... Like I'm barely starting to. At a CLE I was at the other day um, with many other attorneys, I started sketching out to remind myself like what the different elements <laughs> correlate to. And I should, I mean, I totally respect anyone who like considers tarot to like mean anything significant. I'm cool with anyone having any sort of feelings about any item in their life as long as it doesn't hurt anyone but i'm just really into the aesthetics and also oh, the no, yeah. like kind of history and behind the development well, of tarot i like tarot because i believe and that it gives us like a pretend magical amulet to have you know i i like tarot because to me the universe is chaotic and random and just events happen things take place and it's a useful tool, in my opinion. I don't know. It just helps settle the mind to be able yeah. to get into this like, oh, well, like I can. And it also helps straighten out your mind. Yeah, exactly. When you're thinking about exactly. things that have happened, things that mm -hmm. are on the horizon. If Because you could, any, anyone can There's find so much something to in a layout <laughs> yeah. that you're going to be able to relate to your yeah. life. So it, totally. it's kind of helpful for... Um, self-reflection that's totally. why I like it no I, and they're I totally and they're really agree. pretty the one that they're I have so is like the druid craft tarot deck and they're like gorgeous so. they're really gorgeous <laughs> yeah and I don't mean to sound down on tarot I think I've been feeling really angry lately about um, mediums and the way that they basically like emotionally manipulate people mm. um, and tarot is really different and it is it can be used to 
you know, kind of communicate with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I really appreciate that. Um, so it was a really pleasant surprise to have this incredible tarot sequence yeah. that, that's like a big part of the plot. It's very um, and I loved that Daner's super obnoxious aunt um, can play a role in <laughs> helping explain what Ellert's cards might have meant because yeah. her reading is interrupted by Janistra's hair setting on fire because she was trying to do a spell that was too much for her. Yes. Um, and I'm glad we learned that she's like okay by the end of the book. I know, yeah, because I was worried about brutal. it. Yeah, she sounded like seriously burned. But they have magic healers. Yeah, so, yeah she'll, she'll be okay. She'll be okay. <laughs> I did. Her character was funny. I liked having this like seductive, mysterious lady who Just like kind of like popping in and out. Was only focused on Ellerith. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> funny. When Dana's like trying to flirt with her and stuff, she's like, oh, but what about Ellerith? And I know it's because she has sinister intentions, but, right, but it's just a funny character Dana to was have offended in a book like too. He was like, what's wrong with that lady? She didn't want <laughs> to talk about me. me. <laughs> what about my plumed cap and my cape? Yes. There's so many dandies in this book. Um, his cousin... I laughed out loud when his cousin is come. Danner's cousin is coming into dinner with all of the the nobles, and um, the Patricia C. Reedy writes it as like there was a voice from the corner. Sorry, I'm late. Did I miss much? And then it, she says, um, posed in the doorway was a man with one hand oh up behind his head and a blue cape spread out behind him. <laughs> and I just pictured him like. Yeah, no, like totally. The you know, hot guy coming into no, absolutely like, with so much like ego and fanfare. Well, I was like almost at like Ayame levels. From oh my gosh, fruits basket. Yes. Whoa. Oh my gosh, you're right. Okay, yeah, manga reference. <laughs> oh, I love Ayame. But uh, yeah, I appreciated that too. So it's time at last to discuss. The food that fuels us and the books that we love, even though it's only imaginary, it's time for pretend food. It fuels us too. It does. (laughs) It fuels us in our minds. Okay. The first pretend food that I wanted to talk about, even though it... (laughs) Is it the green paste with white chunks in it? (laughs) Was it? I'm really happy. What the heck was that stuff? I'm really happy that's (laughs) what you mentioned. Okay. Just a little background. (laughs) Ellerith has a fancy breakfast at Lord... Did they eat clams? Even though they say, yeah, like, I, I say these it. make me sick when I eat them in the morning. I say fancy in a really, you know, loose way. So they're eating breakfast with um, Daner's aunt. And, and it's like kind of a, a, a banquet type deal. Yeah, so... Uh, what I'm trying to say is... Oh, they are offered... Um, <laughs> steamed clams which uh i was very happy to note that daner's aunt later says sometimes when i have clams this early it gives my stomach a turn and i'm like yeah that's why people don't normally eat steamed clams for breakfast it's it's pretty weird i had some bad clams once and i haven't had them since okay the their offerings included a large bowl of steamed clams a platter of soft white cheese mixed with herbs, hot bread, plums preserved in wine, cold sliced beef, and several things Ellerit did not recognize. That all sounds like weird breakfast food other than um, bread. <laughs> Everything else sounds questionable. I'm, Who wants plums with wine at breakfast? Also, I was like, like, is the green stuff with white chunks, is it guacamole? Well, 
Okay, so the, where we get this description is Lady Kistrin had already cheaped, already heaped her plate with clams and a thick green paste studded with chunks of something white. Oh. What is that? I feel really sick. Now. Because the thing is, and here we can draw on our other pretend food for clues. Um, in this book, there isn't food that doesn't exist in our world, at least that we're shown. Um, everything right. that they eat is consistent Animals with food that, that we have. Our, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's not something like mysterious that is created for this world only. So it has to be something that we would eat or just, I don't know. That some, Maybe it was some kind of like pesto sauce pesto is where i went with it and then i thought maybe like a like a, a green smoothie bowl but i was like mm. probably not. i actually feel kind of sick <laughs> i think we need to move on i can't but this is pretend food <laughs> no but maybe we could talk about a different food besides the clams and the green stuff oh wait let me finish what i'm saying and then we will um but then I realized they probably can't. They probably can't easily freeze food, so a frozen smoothie bowl probably doesn't make any sense. And they don't have blenders. <laughs> well, they can mash things up. Mortar and pestle, baby. You don't need a blender. Um, and it's great because I, I mentioned this in our last episode, our Coraline movie episode, but the podcast Imaginary Worlds had an episode about fantasy food recently and they talked through like everything that pretend food tells you about the world that it's in. And it's mm. like changing the way that I even wow. read about pretend food because I really, really have been with this green paste, I've been breaking it down and being like, okay, well, let's look at the clues. Like what might it be? And like, what does it mean about this world? Um, yeah, definitely check out that episode. I think it's called Fan- Fantastical Food. Um but uh, yeah, Ellerette wants porridge. She's sad that there isn't porridge for her. And I, I like porridge in the morning. <laughs> I don't like clams <laughs> and wine plums and green barf. <laughs> I really also like the line, um, Lady Kistrin separated one clam from the rest and inspected it. <laughs> uh, it's just, that's a, an upsetting breakfast. And oh. I'm sorry, I know you're not feeling good now, so <laughs> let's move on. Um, I need some pizza or ice cream now. The first food we really get in the book is some stew at the inn, along with a black bitter ale. Yeah, um, that I, sounded like a nice hearty meal. Yeah, the stew sounded great. She did not opt to get the meat, which added, I think, a, pro- a cost of two bits to her dinner cost. Um, but uh, the stew itself sounded nice, thick, comforting. I made an amazing soup on Friday that Madeline missed out on eating. She came over and then Brag. left before it was dinner time. I was really um, tired. But now I'm in just like such a soup stew mood and it's oct- almost October. So the fall is really taking hold make, here. We should make um, squash soup. Like, sure. like the Yeti. Like the oh, Yeti at Twilight Pumpkin Princess. soup. Yeah. Yeah. We should do that. Oh, um, hearty stew. Yeah. Big stew fan over here. <laughs> Two stew fans. Two stew. Two furious. Um, yeah, a lot of the food in this book is very, um, you know, traditional fantasy makes type makes sense. Food. Well, it's, except for the nobles food, like it's, it's practical also, yeah, fantasy world. The like nobles food. World. So we also, in addition to that disgusting breakfast, we get a better sounding dinner. So the food is finger length fish that have been fried whole. And then... Wine, white fish wrapped in dark green leaves, thick slices of well-browned meat, fresh bread with herb-flavored oil to dip it in. That sounds mm. great. 
Um, I love the description of this. A whole tray of small birds stuffed with grain. <laughs> it's like the least appetizing way that you could describe it. But I'm sure that Elrit's just like, oh, what yeah. is this? Yeah. Um, so she's not uh, not too into anything in front of her there. Um, there is, you know, a, a general appreciation for food throughout the book. People eat. It's not one of those like quest adventure books where a ton happens and yet there's not time for a meal. Yeah. Um, they mention when... Carvone and I think especially is like, uh, can we just get lunch before we keep talking about this? Um, Respect. Exactly. Man after my own heart and stomach. Um, and there's also, I think there was something else specific. We don't really learn much about what um, the Silhar eat or like what her. It's probably like subsistence, like practical type stuff i, I figure i whatever grows in the mountains there's a lot of focus on fish throughout the this book and i'm wondering about the landscape um if they're closer to water in the city i think i mean so. i'm sure in the mountains there's not well cities probably had a port right yeah versus the in the mountains probably not yeah so it much. is on the port they mentioned the ocean yeah. breeze and things mm-hmm. like that uh, but then also, you know, the stench of rotting fish, which is just what a city is like, hacks. what a medieval style city is like. Um, yeah. So I was intrigued, but nothing super remarkable. Nothing like the cherry's jubilee of dealing with dragons. Um, uh, nothing quite, quite that special, but that's okay. You know, your pretend food can't always be All right. miraculous. We'll let it pass. Let us know if there's uh, any pretend food that we forgot. Um, Let us know what you think the green with white chunks was. So I think that's everything for the Raven Ring. Um, I am sorry if we were really irritating in not knowing about the other Lyra books um, or anything else about Lyra other than what's presented in this story. But in this podcast, we're true to our childhood experience. And that was mine for whatever reason. I think the reasons that we discussed <laughs> explain it mostly based on the cover. <laughs> this was the book from the series that I got. And because I didn't really have the internet yet, I didn't know that there was anything else. And the way the book is packaged really doesn't put forth that it's well, no, part of a, because it, it's not really a, se- I mean, they it is technically a series, but it's all about different characters. Universe, but yeah. it's not like, you know. It's not like it's an epic fantasy like continuation. Well, I really want to read the others because those yeah, are too. the only books of Patricia C. Reedy's that I haven't read. Like I've read everything else. Yeah, you gotta I, get on them, I Grace. don't know how that happened and I managed to miss them. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Uh, but that's another thing that's interesting about revisiting these and I remember what a different time it was when I might, you know, end up with a book and then be like, oh, that was great, but like there's no way short of going to the library of trying to figure out like what else oh, man, might be. <laughs> yeah. And then like Available. if mom would take us to the bookstore or something and we would I, like, I would see the book and then I would look and see next to it more in the series. Mm-hmm. And it was just an amazing feeling of being like, Oh my gosh, there's more of this. Cause you couldn't know otherwise. Yeah. Life truly was magical. We hate you internet. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Don't go away. No, we love the internet. Um, Come back. (laughs) Yeah, parts of it. I need you. Let's be real. 
Um, yeah, so let us know uh, what your favorite Lyra novel or your favorite Patricia C. Reedy book is. We'd, we would love to cover more of her books. We had a wonderful listener request um, Sorcery and Cecilia, which is a book I love that was co-written by Patricia C. Reedy. So oh. I'd definitely be into covering that in the near future. Yeah. And it's an epistolary novel. So it's letters sent between two characters, um, which is always fun, which I thought was like the coolest thing ever when I was a kid. Um, yeah, let us know. You can get in touch with us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com on our Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, Twitter at dragonbabiespod, or right on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. We're doing something new, which is announcing the book that we're going to be covering in advance of the episode being released so that if you're interested, you can reread it and be fresh, um, which was requested by our listener, wonderful listener, Jenny. Thank you so much. That's a really good idea. And it was something I intended to do when we started, but then I felt like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) And our production schedule is like, honestly, pretty slapdash. So we, I'm not going to announce it right now because we haven't picked yet, but I, we will be putting it up soon um, on our website and on Twitter and Grace, Instagram. Grace is a small business owner and I'm an attorney, so it makes sense that we're both busy. It's okay. We don't, we, have wanna... to, we don't have to explain ourselves. People no, get it. I don't, wanna, I don't want to say slapdash because like we make it work. All of that is just to say we haven't picked the next book yet, but we'll, we'll release it soon. Um, and thank you so much for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you, and we love doing this, and we're going to keep going, so keep on listening. I am Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time, goodbye.